Our Untangled Minds by CUSM is for informational purposes only and does not constitute professional medical or psychological advice, diagnosis, and or treatment. Please make sure if you do have any questions or concerns that are medical or psychological in nature that you seek out a physician or qualified mental health provider for further help. Furthermore, the information, viewpoints, or opinions expressed in this podcast are solely the views of the individuals that are involved. They do not represent absolute fact and are subject to change at any point in time. CUSM does not accept responsibility for these views. Lastly, the names and details of any medical stories shared in this episode have been edited for privacy. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to a very special episode of Our Untangled Minds by CUSM. My name is Sydney Cummings. I'll be one of your hosts today. And my name is Madasar Bassam, and I'll be the other host. All right, Mud. So uh, what are we talking about today? So we have a really nice little mini episode on some of the medical conditions that have uh, inspired some well-known horror creatures like vampires and zombies. And then later on, we're going to feature some of our favorite CUSM students, we're going to share some of their spooky little stories with us. Yeah. So right now we are kind of in the middle of spooky season, um, you know, the best season of the year. Halloween's in a couple of days. So we thought it would be really fun to just do some medical history, kind of not really history, but kind of history related to things like vampires and ghosts and stuff like that. So to start off, I'm going to be talking about vampires and kind of the medical conditions that are thought to possibly inspired them in the past. So vampire stories, just a little bit of history, have been around for hundreds of years. They really became prevalent kind of in the medieval period. But before that, they existed in one form or another in hundreds of cultures. Um, they always kind of shared some common features. It was always this maybe undead creature or this creature who only came out at night um, and they have some variations, of course, like some stories say you can only kill them with a wooden stake or their skin burns up in the sun or something like that. But they all tend to share kind of this common feature of drinking blood. That's, I think, what everybody really knows vampires for and associates them with. And vampires have been popular kind of forever. Even today, there's still stories about vampires in popular culture, whether it's like the Twilight series or uh, like Vampire Diaries, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's you can see how popular they've still remained even uh, today. I did a little bit of history because I thought it was really interesting kind of why the story of vampires have been around for so long. And I wanted to look into possibly like why these creatures or, you know, how these histories kind of came about. And so some people have this theory that vampires are actually based on a medical condition or a group of medical conditions called porphyrias. If you don't know what porphyrias are, they are actually a group of blood disorders. And I think there is like five or six of them, and each different disorder is basically uh, an enzyme deficiency. So what porphyrin is, a molecule that's needed to make up red blood cells. And so without it, we don't really have functional hemoglobin, we don't have functional red blood cells. And what the porphyrias are is basically in the chemical process of making porphyrin, there's an enzyme missing, so you're unable to make porphyrin. And the one that's kind of most thought to maybe have inspired vampire stories is called Porphyria cutanea tarda. And this is a really rare disease. Um, It's usually inherited, but you can actually get it sporadically. It can be kind of a de novo mutation as well. 
Um, and the enzyme that is defective is called UROD or uroporphinogen decarboxylase. Hopefully I said that right. Nice. <laughs> Sorry if I didn't, Dr. Dobby. I'm trying here. Uh, but yeah, so basically what happens in this disease, kind of some of the symptoms of it is you get really bad abdominal pain, you get like fatigue, you're really tired all the time. Uh, but one of the kind of like biggest things that it's known for is that people who have this condition, if they spend too long in the sun, they can actually get really, really bad sunburns. Um, and so I feel like you can maybe kind of see where I'm going with this. You know, uh, you think about kind of that classic picture of a vampire. They're really like pale white. They're tired. They stay inside all the time. And so if you think about it, somebody hundreds of years ago who maybe was dealing with this disease was probably dealing with a lot of anemia from the uh, non-functional red blood cells. Um, they were also probably staying inside all the time because they were exhausted. And also if they went out into the sun, they got these really severe burns. So kind of putting that all together, you can kind of start to see this picture of a vampire if somebody had this maybe hundreds of years ago and didn't know. But I'm sure you guys are probably like, okay, can kind of see it but what about the blood drinking thing like where does that come from so kind of like i was talking about before the porphyrias are due to enzyme deficiencies and if you know anything about kind of biochemical pathways the only way to stop a biochemical pathway from proceeding forward is to actually get to the correct end product so if you don't have that end product you don't have any negative feedback occurring so you're just going to keep making these kind of byproducts that are going to just keep giving you these symptoms and so what some people think is that people who had porphyria, they either like craved or even tried to drink blood to try and stop some of their symptoms. And I know that kind of sounds crazy, but more current treatments for porphyrias are actually things like blood transfusions, where you're giving them the end product that they've been missing to really alleviate those symptoms. So I don't know if it's true. Mud, what do you think? Did I convince you? You did convince me. But <laughs> it sounds like I should have paid more attention in Heme. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. what do you remember from Hemonk? Does this sound right? This sounds right to me, but honestly, at this point, I'm like, what does a red blood cell do again? <laughs> I'm just a little confused. All right. Well, that's all I've got. Just a little bit about vampires. I know you you came up with some stories today, too, right? Yeah. So I'm a big believer in the fact that medicine can explain everything, um, even our favorite childhood stories. And if you don't believe me, just sit back, relax, and listen to me ruin some of the magic behind the most commonly narrated fairy tales and in turn, your childhood. Ooh. Yeah. All right, so we've all heard the story of Jack and the Beanstalk, right? So for anyone who may not have heard it or needs a little bit of a reminder, Jack is a, basically a very poor boy, grew up in a small village, and he decides to sell his mother's only cow for three magical beans. And these beans have this ability to grow to the sky where there's a hen that lays golden eggs and there's this self-playing golden harp and it's all being guarded by this big one-eyed giant and this giant can smell jack but he can't see him and he says fee fi fo fum i smell the blood of an english man clearly this giant has a pituitary tumor that has caused gigantism <laughs> <laughs> so essentially i was wondering where you were going with this yeah me too so <laughs> This tumor, right, it's a pituitary tumor causing gigantism, right? There's a, a an excess release of growth hormone. And you can kind of see that, right, where this guy's a big giant. He has a big frontal bossing forehead, uh, probably has a big nose, has a large jaw, or at least that's the giant I imagined in my head growing up. 
like Andre the Giant, isn't he thought to have a pituitary tumor causing acromegaly? And he has all those like really classic features, I think. Yeah, exactly. I think think he's the most famous example we have. And his picture is probably in a few medical textbooks out there. And I think this giant belongs there too. Um, and the other symptom, right, this, it's a pituitary tumor, right? So the pituitary gland is right behind the optic chiasm. So as the tumor grows, it presses on that optic chiasm and it affects his vision. And you can kind of see it where he can't see Jack, but he can smell him. So next, we're going to talk about the Little Red Riding Hood. So... The Little Red Riding Hood has to take care of her sickly grandmother whose house is deep inside of the forest. She walks through the forest and finally makes her way to the grandmother's house. Along the way, she has many misadventures, but we're not going to focus on any of those. Let's just focus on her getting to the grandmother's house. When she gets there, she sees her grandmother and she says, Oh my, what big feet you have. Oh my, what big hands you have. Oh my, what big teeth you have. But she clearly can't see that the grandmother is this gigantic wolf. She seems to be suffering from myopia, (laughs) maybe even astigmatism, (laughs) maybe both, right? It's concurrent. Who knows? She can't see that her grandmother is a wolf. Meanwhile, the grandmother, looking all wolfy, might have a late stage lupus erythematous. Essentially, lupus at a very late stage can cause a sort of looping face. And for anyone who doesn't know, Lupine uh, translates roughly to wolf. Yep, Latin root for wolf. Yeah, Latin. And that's why the grandmother's kind of holed up in her bed, right? The other alternative explanation that I came up with is maybe the grandmother's suffering from hypertrichosis. So this is a condition where essentially the grandmother uh, is growing hair from all parts of her body, especially her face, hands and feet. And that's why the Little Red Riding Hood is so confused and, you know, trying to and just wondering what's going on with her grandmother. And she might have a number of other conditions, right? When she says, oh, grandma, what big eyes you have. She clearly has exophthalmos, right? (laughs) Am I right? She has Graves disease. Yeah. She says, what a deep voice you have. She has tons of vocal cord nodules, making her voice deeper. Obviously. Yeah. And then one more time, Sid, when she says, what big hands you have, what is that an indication of? Acromegaly. There we go. <laughs> yep. The, the grandmother's just too big. All right. My next story is going, again, in the forest, Hansel and Gretel. So Hansel and Gretel are venturing deep into the woods. As the legend goes, they're leaving behind like a pile of bread or little bits of bread to kind of find their way. But eventually they run out of bread and they stumble on this like witch's house. Witches are common in fairy tales and they're usually described with many warts and hunchbacks. And I think this might be a reference to neurofibromatosis. So the condition essentially gets kind of defined by these warts, which are cutaneous fibromas and the hunchback is caused by scoliosis. And this is a common complication of neurofibromatosis. People living in this condition are usually shunned by society and they live in remote locations. And maybe because they've been alone for such a long time, they're a little selfish, they have a little bit of a nasty personality like witches do, and maybe she's a little hungry, so she decides to eat a few kids. Not that big of a deal, (laughs) if you ask me. All right, and my final story is going to be about the princess and the pea. So as the legend goes, the princess is traveling through this unfamiliar territory 
and her protector that's been assigned to keep her alive is killed and she's caught in this thunderstorm. Through the clouds, she sees a big castle and she seeks some protection in the castle. But the queen in charge of the castle decides, I need to know whether or not this is a princess before I can let her sleep in the castle. So the queen orders that a pea must be placed under her luxuriant thick mattress to see if this spoiled little princess notices. The princess, as the legend goes, notices the pea, can't sleep all night, tosses and turns. So if you ask me, I think that the princess only noticed the pea because she has fibromyalgia. So fibromyalgia is associated with hypersensitive skin, these little pain points, and poor sleep. And it could be exasperated by the exact conditions that the princess went through outside of the castle. Emotional stress, traveling, sudden weather changes, and I think she needs to get some help. I think you need to get some help. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Very vivid imagination you here. You thought about these fairy tales way too hard. Yeah. No, that was amazing, but that was great. Um, so yeah, I think that's all the stories we have. But if you want to hear some very real, very spooky stories from some of our classmates, keep listening. Okay. Hi, everyone. Uh, welcome to our first open mic night um, from uh, the CUSM podcast. Uh, so this week's this month's event is the spooky storytelling, as you can tell by the creepy cabin in the woods ambiance and Halloween candy. I uh, just want to thank Miguel, Darshan, Trinity, Arshdeep, Henry, wherever you went, um, outside. Um, so this is going to be recorded, but if you don't want whatever your spooky story is to be recorded, just let us know. No problem. Not a big deal. Uh, yeah, that's the gist. Just is to have fun and uh, tell some stories. Woo! Woo! Okay. All right. Um, so does anyone, does anyone have a story that they would like to tell? I heard that Josh has one. Let's go, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> Can we get a round of applause? I'm already shaking. Remember, no chewing on mice. Yeah, we got a snap. Hello, everyone. Um, I was in the middle of eating my Reese's peanut butter cup filled with Reese's Pieces bites, but I'll take a break to shout out, this, this episode is sponsored by Reese's Pieces. <laughs> um, so I will preface this with, this is a 100% true story that has happened to me because I know that some stories here might not be the most legitimate. Um, so for a couple years, I uh, moved to the Philippines actually. I was born and raised in California, but I decided to take a little adventure Moved to the Philippines. I did one year of high school and one year of college out there. And um, if you all didn't know, Southeast Asia has tons of ghosts for some reason, um, or at least stories about ghosts. And during my year of high school out there, apparently there's like, you know, hundreds of stories about my school being haunted, you know, stuff happening in the bathrooms. Like, boy, <laughs> that sounded weird. Um, like disembodied voices, lights flickering on and off, stuff like that. So 
uh, after practicing for like a dance competition um, one night, and it's like the whole class has to dance there. Everyone has to sing dance as part of curriculum. Um, I had recently introduced some friends to American football, and they told me to go grab my football from downstairs. So it's about nine o'clock at night. Uh, me and my friend decided to go downstairs to uh, our classroom. And the classroom is um, completely dark except for some moonlight coming through. And we, but we could clearly see everything in the room. So we go grab the football, and as we're walking out, we hear a desk kind of move. So we turn around, there's absolutely no one in the room, and then out of nowhere, a desk literally flies across the room on the ground, and we sprint out of there, you know, scared, poopless. <laughs> and so the only, the only explanations we thought of was that we were getting pranked, or as a ghost, so we go back and look, and there's literally no one in the room, and I actually, I told my girlfriend this story like a couple months ago, she did not believe me, and I ended up messaging that old friend, and he confirmed. So, moral of the story, don't go to Southeast Asia unless you're cool with ghosts. Thank you. Thank you, Josh. That was scary. Very spooky. All right. Anyone else have a story to share? No pressure to follow up on that one. Yeah. All right. We have Darshan coming up to the mic. How's it going? Okay. Uh, when I was a sophomore in college, <laughs> I moved into, or I was, uh, me and five of my friends planned to move into an apartment. And we were really excited about it. It was the ground floor of a two-story building. The second story uh, was where actually the landlord's parents lived. So he was like, you don't have to worry about it when you guys are studying. Everything will be really quiet. Like, you know, my parents live upstairs. You know, they'll let me know if anything needs fixing. So you guys will be well taken care of. Like, and we were really excited about it. And there were six of us. And we moved into the, we moved into the apartment. And one of our favorite things about the apartment was that every room was painted a different color. So my friend Hassam's room, his room was bright red. The walls were bright red. The like furnishings were like red velvet, like, um, and, uh, and so it was like the red room. And then the hallway was like a yellow hallway and the kitchen was blue. Uh, my bedroom was a green bedroom, and then one of the other bedrooms was, uh, was orange. But the strange thing was that in the kitchen, which is painted blue again, there was a bright red door. And when we moved in, actually even when we, uh, when we viewed the place, our landlord said, don't worry about the red door. <laughs> And we weren't worried about the red door at the time. We were excited, you know, six guys, like there's enough space for all of us, whatever. But once we moved in, we started to get worried about the red door. We heard scratching 
at the door. And we thought, do we have rats? Do we have... So we put out traps. Uh, nothing. We didn't catch. We never caught anything. We thought, where does this lead to? So we started looking from the outside of the house, like, oh, the laundry room is downstairs. But it was definitely a separate room from the laundry room. Like, it was on the wrong side of the house to connect to the laundry room. So you're very concerned about what is behind this red door. One time we were, you know, hanging out and a couple girls were over. We wanted to be, you know, we're trying we're just trying to, you know, play it cool and be like, you know, we don't we don't know what's behind the red door and they're like, "You've never checked?" We're like, "No, you know, we respect our landlord's privacy." They're like, "I don't know. I couldn't live in a place if I hadn't seen like what was behind the red door." So, we decide we're going to go for it. We're going we're gonna to check it out. We're going to see what's behind the red door. We open the red door, and there's a stairwell that descends into darkness. Now, the first, the first sign should have been that the door was unlocked. We'd never thought to try it, but the door was unlocked. So, after a bit of, of jostling for position, uh, I drew the unlucky straw and <laughs> was forced to descend into the stairway by myself. And as I walked down the stairway, I saw the flickering of a single light bulb hanging from the middle of the room, a naked light bulb. And it was very obscure, it was very dark, it was hard to make out what was in this room. My, and I tell my friends, no, it's, you know, it's cool. Like, come on, let's, let's check it out. Check it out. I just needed someone down there with me. So we walk into the light of the light bulb and we start noticing that our, our feet are kind of sticking to the floor a little bit. Ugh, this is pretty gross. And we look down and we don't see, it's not like, fortunately, it wasn't just red. Because that, I, I would have taken off. I would have been out of there in a heartbeat. But it's all the colors of the different bedrooms in the apartment. Or all the rooms. So, like, there's, there's the orange from, you know, my friend's bedroom, the red from Hassan's bedroom, the green from my bedroom. Which is a little suspicious. And then we look up. And suspended from the ceiling were what appeared to be fetal pigs that had been dipped in the paint that I'm assuming had painted each of the bedrooms and they were tied to the rafters and they were dripping paint. So we got out of there. We closed the door, cleaned ourselves off, tried to go back to our night and we called our landlord and we said, we had to make something up. We were like, oh, you know, I heard something downstairs. I was a little freaked out, like thought it might be an animal, a raccoon or something. So we opened the door and he was like, you opened the door? I told you not to go down there. He said, did you disrupt my art project? And we said, no, we didn't, we didn't touch anything. And he said, if I sense that you have interrupted my art project, you will be without a place to live. Needless to say, we never opened the door after that. We continued to live there for the rest of our lease. We lived there for the rest of the year. 
Um, we we moved out at the end of at the end of our lease. But uh, no, we didn't want him to know that we had been down there. I mean, I was hoping I hadn't left any footprints in the in the you know paint that had been dripping off of the the ceiling. But so the pigs were still fresh with paint. They were fresh with paint. They were dripping paint onto our clothes. Would he go into that room often? Did you ever see him go in there? I think that's what the sounds were. I think that's what the scratching was, was him tying little fetal pigs, stringing them up from the ceiling. He must have had another entrance. There had to have been at like an outside door. But yeah, we didn't we didn't know what that room connected to. We didn't see anything from the outside. Can we get like a name so if there's like a rest report we can see it's kind of <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, uh, I'm pretty sure that guy stiffed us on giving us our security deposit back. So <laughs> there's that's the that's the scariest part of the story. Moral of the story, guys: uh, be careful who you rent from. So, thank you. Okay. Who's next? Go next. All right. Okay. So this is not something that happened to me. I won't pretend to compete with Josh or Darshan. <clears throat> This is a throwback to a book that many of us probably read when we were younger. I don't know if you remember Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark by Alvin Torres with black and white covers. Um, so those books definitely freaked me out when I was a kid, so I thought I would do a little throwback, bring one of those stories back for us today. This one is called The Girl Who Stood on a Grave. Some boys, <laughs> Some boys and girls were at a party one night. There was a graveyard down the street, and they were talking about how scary it was. Don't ever stand on a grave after dark, one of the boys said. The person inside will grab you. He'll pull you under. That's not true, one of the girls said. It's just a superstition. I'll give you a dollar if you stand on a grave, said the boy. A grave doesn't scare me, said the girl. I'll do it right now. The boy handed her his knife. Stick this knife in one of the graves, he said. Then we'll know you were there. The graveyard was filled with shadows and was as quiet as death. There is nothing to be scared of, the girl told herself, but she was scared anyway. She picked out a grave and stood on it. Then quickly she bent over and plunged the knife into the soil and she started to leave. But she couldn't get away. Something was holding her back. She tried a second time to leave, but she couldn't move. She was filled with terror. Something has got me, she screamed, and she fell to the ground. When she didn't come back, the others went to look for her. They found her body sprawled across the grave. Without realizing it, she had plunged the knife through her skirt and had pinned it to the ground. It was only the knife that held her. She had died of fright. Thank you. <laughs> Hello? Is this good? Hello. All right. Uh, my name is Skylander. Uh, just to give you a little brief introduction, I am definitely a man of science. I'm in medical school, but um, I definitely am a strong believer in the paranormal. I've had way too many experiences to not be at this point. 
Uh, I'm not sure it's ghostly apparitions or whatever it may be, but I have my theories, but that's for another day. Um, ever since I was young, and it could have been because I was born in a haunted house, quite literally, I've been extremely sensitive to this kind of like energy that these places have. And it was about three years ago when my mom, my youngest brother, who's four years younger than me, Rylan, and my mom's boyfriend, Mike, and his two daughters, uh, and I all went to Yosemite. And I love Yosemite. It's a beautiful place. It's filled with great energy. Everything aside from the attractions, which have become recently like Disneyland rides, uh, they're so full. It's absolutely gorgeous. It's an amazing way to reconnect with nature. And while we were there, we stayed in a place called Cedar Lodge. And if you guys know anything about uh, true crime or anything like that, that might be a familiar name to you. Sadly, at the time, I did not. I got into that much later. So what happened is we got Cedar Lodge Cabin 14. And back in the 80s, it was a bit different, but for the time being, uh, there was multiple cabins and they renovated it for reasons I will discuss later. Um, but we were on the edge of the entire property next to a pool. So it was our cabin, the pool, and then wilderness, which was Yosemite. And I was the first one through the door after unloading. And I got in there, it's a two-story cabin, and I got such horrible chills. I turned around and I said, I'm not going in there, let's find a new place. My, and my mom was like, can't, already prepaid, let's go. And just to give you guys a little bit of a layout of the place, you walk in and there's red and black floors, and there's a kitchen on the far end, a living room with two couches approximately near the door, and one long wooden table with an old cream white dial telephone, the one you have to stick your finger in and it retracts. It, and I made sure it was unplugged because the thing was creepy as hell. Um, upstairs was two bedrooms, one bathroom and a master bedroom. So me and my brother were to sleep in one bedroom, the girls in another, and my mom and her boyfriend in the last one. And throughout the night, I was telling them how much bad vibes I was getting. I like, my chest felt deep. I couldn't trust anything. I kept getting dizzy. And I was telling them how horrible this place was. And both my mom and my little brother had been, you know, we've had certain experiences happen to us before. And Rylan knew to trust me. My mom thought it was funny. Uh, so she would like, we had walkie talkies during the trip because we were in two separate cars. So like as a joke, she like put one in a pillow in the next room and was like, Sky, you know, like this is the ghost of cabin 14, you know, like she was messing with me. And uh, I was like, all right, I'll just, I'll just enjoy it for what it is. I didn't want to be inside the cabin. So me, my brother and the two girls went outside to go swimming. And it was a totally quiet night. It was about 8 p.m. So it was dark at this point and there was lights around so we could see the pool. And we were all swimming in the pool, and all of a sudden, all the bushes by the pool all at once, and there's no wind, and they're all shaking all at once. And out pops this deer, one deer, and all of the shaking stops for an entire hedge. Uh, and I thought it was weird. So we went inside, like, like a minute afterwards, and I'm talking to uh, my brother and the girls. I'm like, hey, did you guys see the deer? And they were like, you mean that creepy old man? And I was like, what are you talking about? I saw a deer. And Rowan was like, no, I saw two girls. And the other girl was like, no, I saw an old man too. So all th the girls, my little brother and I, all saw something different. And we were like, that was weird. And we go upstairs. And just so you guys know, the stairs was this old iron, about 10 steps. And then you had like a in-between. So you would do 10 steps in one direction. You had this little platform that was an in-between and then 10 more steps. So it'd form a U. 
uh, the underside of it was completely empty. And it was iron, so you could hear every step. And we basically all went upstairs, showered, got ready for bed, and I'm sitting in bed, and my little brother turns to me, and, he's go, and he said, I have the worst feeling ever. And I'm like, thank you. I've been feeling it for hours. And I was like, look, we'll sleep in shifts. I'll stay awake. Yeah, I'm, I'm serious. I'll stay awake. You fall asleep. Every three hours, we'll switch. Or we can do six, like, or four and four. And he was like, okay, that sounds fine. And we're sitting there for a little bit. And the, I can, out, we have this little window. It's literally a foot by a foot. It's, besides that, the bed takes up 95% of the room. Like, you can barely stand up, turn on your side to get out of the room from this bed. And Rylan fell asleep in just a few short minutes, but then springs up out of bed 10 minutes later. And he's like, something's wrong. And I said, what do you mean? He's like, I, so I had a terrible dream. And he, he's like, basically pushed me over to look at the window. He's like, look at the window. And we're looking at the window, and the head just started to move the second he said it, just the way that he did before. And all of a sudden, all the lights go out outside. And he's like, nope, I'm not going back to sleep. You try to go back to sleep. And I was like, I was like, no, I'm not going back to sleep either. So after a while, I was trying to calm him down. And we took a chair that was in the room, folded up, and we shoved it underneath the door. This is how paranoid we were. And we're not very paranoid people. Um, and eventually, I tried to fall asleep. And he was watching Garth. And I woke up in my dream this time. And Ralm was gone. And I'm a very vivid dreamer, but I've never had a dream that was this vivid. I remember taking the blankets off of me. And I'm very night blind, so I was, I had my hand against the wall, and I could feel all the bumps, everything. I could feel the stucco on it, and I would trace the wall back to the door handle, because I couldn't see Rylan. And I figured, okay, well, he must just be in the bathroom, but I wanted to find him. So I moved the door away, or I moved the chair away, I opened up the door, and I feel for the bathroom lights, and I turn it on, and he's not there. So I go into the girls' room, so I think for whatever reason, maybe the girls are scared, maybe he's comforting the girls. And... I open up the door, and their beds are a mess. There's mattress stuffing everywhere. There's rope on the floor, and there's a little bit of blood on the ground. And I'm like, this is... I, I, I got so scared, because at this point, I didn't know if I was dreaming. So I backed up against the door, and I waited there to hear anything. And I couldn't hear a single thing. And I was waiting for maybe rustling, or some sound, or footsteps, but I heard nothing. So eventually, I decided it'd be best if I basically barged down the door and went into the master bedroom and dealt with the consequences later. So I ran down the hallway, basically pushed the door open, flicked on the lights, like combat mode, ready to whatever is going to happen. Same thing. Beds were torn up, rope on the ground, evidence of a struggle, and I started freaking out. Everyone was gone, except me. So I was sitting there. I backed up into the little hallway that was between the second and the first floor, and I was sitting there for a few minutes, and I was like, okay, maybe I should call someone, maybe the police. Like, what should I do? And it was very weird because I was very rational and things were very real. I could hear everything. Like, I could feel everything. Um, I could actually, in my dream, feel my heart race through my ears. And I was like, what the hell is going on? And I'm sitting there trying to decide what's best. And all of a sudden I hear, ring, 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 ring. Ring, 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 ring. And I was like, oh, no. It's that terrible phone downstairs. And I, I just sit there. I'm like, what should I do? So I'm like, okay. I'll go down the stairs, because obviously I'm in a dream at this point, because that's an unplugged phone. So I go down the stairs, and then there's that little halfway point. And at this point, the entire, I can see downstairs for the, for the most part, and it's pitch black. 
and I know there's a space underneath the staircase. I don't even want to deal with it, so I don't even look at it. And I go down the other flight of stairs, and I'm on the ground floor, and it's still pitch black. And I'm looking around for the light switch, and I'm shimming on the wall, still feeling the wall. And eventually I find it, and I slap it, expecting something to happen, expecting a scare, anything. And it was fine. It was a totally empty room, just the way it was when I first walked in, still creepy as all hell, but the phone was ringing on the far end. And I slowly just walked over to the phone. I looked everywhere, I looked underneath the staircase. I was expecting something to happen, and I just was sitting there at this phone, waiting to answer it, and it just kept ringing. It wouldn't stop. It wasn't like someone was recalling. It was just continuously ringing, waiting to be picked up, waiting to be listened to. And eventually I put my hand on it, and I pulled it up to my ear quickly. And I can hear Ryland's voice, my mom's voice, Mike's voice, the girls, and they're all screaming. They're all shouting, like, why did you do this? What did you do to us? You know, and I'm, I'm listening to them, and they're getting louder and louder, and they're filling up the room. And they're like, sky, sky, sky. And then I hear my mom go, behind you. And then before I can even turn around, I hear down the stairs. And I turn, and I wake up in a cold sweat next to Ryland. And I almost puked. It was terrible. I've never had a dream like that in my life. And we, we were going to get ready, go up the next morning to look around for, you know, like breakfast and stuff like that and everyone woke up and they looked worse than I did. And I was like, <laughs> it was a great I told you so moment, but I didn't want to celebrate there. And we basically all dipped out of there as fast as possible, went on, you know, relaxing Yosemite vacation. And I, we were all in the car and it was pitch silent when we were driving away. I said, what happened to your guys' dreams? And they were like, oh, we had a dream that you came in with rope and murdered us. And I was like, oh, and everyone had the exact same dream except Rylan. Um, so the girls, my mom, and Mike. Uh, and they, it was basically like, it was, we were all like basically in agreement of how weird it was. And basically, I always thought about that night and like my, my parents bring it up every once in a while. My mom actually serendipitously sent me memories from two years ago or what was that, like four years ago? And it was the cabin. Like she's still, you know, we all still remember it, but the real part that freaked me out was two years later. I went to UC Santa Barbara. Um, yeah, go Gauchos. And there's, if you guys are a Gaucho or just been to the campus, there's something called Pardal Tunnel. It connects IV to the main campus. And I'm walking through there after class because I always enjoyed walking. It was a nice refresher between everything. And I had my earbuds in and I became a fan of true crime. And I was listening to a podcast called My Favorite Murder. Uh, absolutely fantastic podcast. Um, not as good as this one, but... <laughs> Um, I was listening, and there's two, you know, hosts for that show, and the, what they do is they basically just bring up a random uh, serial killer or, like, this weird murder, and today they started with, today we're going to talk about the Cedar Lodge killer, and I heard that, and everything on my spine, all the hairs, everything just shivered, and I knew already what it was going to happen in the story, because four people were murdered by someone who worked at the hotel there, or, like, the, who owned all the cabins. And it was in the exact same way. Someone who worked there came in with a knife and rope and basically just stabbed people, you know, murdered them, like in almost the exact same way that my family described it. And I, it just freaked me out and it's always stayed with me. Yeah. Okay, that was terrifying. Um, <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> Uh, so I know that's a hard story to follow up, but uh, 
<laughs> Does anyone have um, another story to share? It, it doesn't have to be terrifying. It can also be funny. So I don't think it'll live up to that amazing scary story before, but um, experience I had. So, um, so I'm Egyptian. My family's from Egypt, and every summer we would go to Egypt, stay in our family's beach house. That's like in a very small, like compound of little beach houses, just one story thing. Um, there's maybe like I think like ten rows of houses, like five across, so relatively, and in the middle of the desert, just by the, um, by the water, pretty small community out there. And most of the ones in just right, no security system, nothing. I think this was when I was like seven or something, so um, a while ago. So we're going there, and then the little, um, little beach house we're in, you walk in, or it has like a little porch area, and then you walk in, little living room, and then there's a small hallway, and you have three bedrooms, but the bedrooms basically just fit the bed kind of in each one, and then a bathroom on the other side, and then small kitchen at the back, right? Just enough room for, like, fridge, sink, and countertop. And every night, right, it would be dark. You can't really hear much going on. Um, you just lock up, but it's not the usual one right here where you just do the one lock. No, you have the regular screen door, you have the main door and you lock that one, you turn it like three times and then there's like two or three other latches because you don't know what's gonna happen out there. So you have that one at the front and then at the back you have an even thinner one but still same thing, multiple locks. So the one year it was me, my brother and my parents. We went and we would always sleep in. We kind of had um, a sign room. So my grandmother had the first one, um, my aunt and her family had the middle one and then me and my family, we had the last one. So I think this one, I think it was just um, my grandmother and our family at that point. So we're in the back room sleeping one night, right? It was me and my brother in one bed, um, my parents in the other one. And then just usual, nothing's going on, just kind of sleeping. And I wake up in the middle of the night and I look at the door and I see kind of like the outline of a person at the back of the door. And at first I'm like, okay, it's just like a shade or this or that, or it's like a towel from when we went swimming. It's something, whatever. So I kind of put my head down, but I can't go to sleep and it's bugging me that I saw something there. So I sit up again and I look at the door and the figure's starting to move now. So I see it start moving and I'm like, okay, I'm still clearly dreaming. There's n this is not happening. So then I look and it now it's, looking like I said like shape of a person and it's not just like moving it looks like it's like walking towards the bed and reaching now so I start first going I think maybe it's right my grandmother or something someone came in something like that I don't know so I start going who's there and me I was very scared when I was younger and I start getting more panicked as this figure gets closer and closer to the bed and I start to raise my voice. Who's there? Who's there? I start getting super panicked. And like I said, my whole family's in the room with me. My mom hears me doing this and she starts panicking too. And she doesn't know what's going on. Then she starts yelling at my dad, turn on the light, turn on the light. 
And then we look over, my dad turns on the light, nothing. No one was there, nothing has happened. I wasn't sure what was going on, if it was just a night terror or what. I had talked to my mom the next day, right? I managed somehow to get back to sleep. And the next morning I'm talking with my parents and my mom says, yeah, no, when me and your aunt were younger, we were sitting in the, um, in the beach house one time and it was just us and you all when you were quiet and we both saw like something down the hall walk across like a shadow. And they had had similar thing where they had seen it and they weren't sure what it was, but they both knew very vividly that they had seen something. So that's my story. <laughs> Great stories. All right, so we're coming in to the last 10 minutes of the hour we have this room reserved. Is there anyone else who has a story to share? <laughs> Sydney? <laughs> I, don't, I don't have anyone. No? What's it? I don't have a story. <laughs> if not, no, um, no worries. I, I got a lighthearted one. Yeah, please do. A lighthearted <laughs> one would be wonderful. Okay. All right. <laughs> All right, hi again, Skylander. <laughs> uh, you can shut off the spooky music. Oh, okay, all right. Okay, so I don't know if this is sequential, so I'm just introducing myself again. Um, basically, as a child, I had a lot of problems sleeping. I think a lot of people had. I had night terrors, I had insomnia, I just wake up, restless leg syndrome, like the whole slew of everything. It's just, I had it all. Um, so I was very accustomed to basically having poor sleep and having weird occurrences in my dreams. Um, I had like very avid lucid dreams and also very, just generally everything you've ever heard of, every sleep disorder, everything like that, it was me, right? Uh, everything aside from narcolepsy. And, which is nice, because I can drive. Um, but I was about eight and my entire family wanted to go to Hawaii. So at this time my parents were together and I have a twin, a younger brother, a littlest brother, and my two parents. And we flew to the big island and it was a, I think it's a really long flight. It might, we might've had a layover for some reason, but I remember it being 13 hours. Um, and we left at 2 a.m. So I went to bed at like 10, woke up at two, I was exhausted, 13 hour flight and we got in and by the time it was, we got into Hawaii, I remember it was the very early hours of the morning. Um, and my, we basically got in so hungry that we put my littlest brother to bed and all of us went out to try to find anything we could eat, whether it was a grocery store or food or anything. And we went out, we actually found a cafe that was open at 2 a.m. in the morning. And not only was it open, it was delicious. We actually all ordered like two entrees and ate it all. And I was a little kid, but I, I had an appetite at that point. I think I got a burger and a macaroni and cheese because I was a little kid and I'd still do it now. So if you have problems with that. Um, anyways, I, <laughs> I, we all went back and at this point it was just, we were all so exhausted, but at least we were full. And being full at this point made us even more tired. And I remember I was sleeping in the same room as my little brother Rand. And there was these little white twin beds in this room. And all I remember was just sleeping on top. And I've always been a back sleeper as long as I remember. And I've spread out starfish on the bed and passed out. And I remember being 
the next second conscious was there's overwhelming weight on my chest. And if you guys have ever had sleep paralysis, that's a very common thing is you feel this deep pressure. A lot of times in my sleep paralysis, I was, my I could see things or like I could hear things or things would come up and blind me. Um, but this one was total darkness. It was on top of my face, it was on top of my chest, it was on top of my, my feet. It was covering my entire body and that was new for me. And I, I remember just sitting there for minutes. And at that point, the pressure didn't really change. It didn't get any heavier, although it was pretty heavy as a kid. And I was like, what's going on? Like, shouldn't there be something scary happening? Shouldn't I be able to move? I can still more or less breathe despite this overwhelming pressure. And eventually, I decided to move. I was so used to being in sleep paralysis and unable to move that I didn't even think about trying. And I realized I could move my fingers. I could feel the bed. And I was like, oh, okay, this is actually pretty nice. And then a scarier thought hit me. I can move. I'm not dreaming. I'm not sleeping. So what's on top of me? So I remember I stood still for another 10 minutes and eventually I got so bored, I started talking. I was like, hello? <laughs> Nothing happened. Hello? Nothing happened. So I used my hands and I started pushing whatever was on top of me. And eventually I heard, no, no. I'm like, what the? So I keep going and I hear, no, no. I'm like, okay. So I basically, Start, I don't know if I yell, but I just start raising my voice and start moving. I start thrashing. I'm like, hey, 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 you know? And eventually, I hear my mom's voice. She goes, Sky. I'm like, Mom? <laughs> she goes, What are you doing in my bed? <laughs> and I'm like, Mom, you're on top of me. And she gets up without saying a word and leaves the room. And all I remember after that was waking up in the morning next to my little brother. So I figured it was either a super weird dream. Uh, and shortly after, I even forgot it. And I was up in the morning and I played Pokemon cards like I did every morning with my brothers. And my mom is uh, making breakfast because that morning she went out, she bought cereal and she bought papaya and she squeezed some lemon on it, which is delicious if you guys have never tried it. And we're all eating papaya, lemon, cereal. And I remember my mom was by the sink and I was at the table. She was cleaning something and she turns around. She was like, hey, Sky, did you have a weird dream last night? And I'm sitting there and I'm like, yeah, I think I did. She was like, I don't, I don't think it was a dream. And I was like, what happened? And she was like, I think I was so tired. I leaned over to kiss you goodnight and I fell asleep on top of you. <laughs> and, I was, and then we both just had a good laugh about it. But I remember I just thought it was sleep paralysis and I thought it was weird. Yeah, so that was the story. All right, so we only have five minutes left. Uh, so unless anyone else has like a last minute story, I think we're going to end it. But um, but um, thank you everyone for coming. And if this open mic night went well, maybe we can do it in the future with some different themes, a little music, who knows? Who knows? Some stand-up comedy, Ooh, uh, yeah. some uh, some poems. Who knows? Some slam poetry. Uh, yeah, cool. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening, everyone. If you have any questions, comments, or episode suggestions, please email us at oumpodcast at cusm.org. That's O-U-M-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at C-U-S-M dot org.